there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon. I'm so glad to be with you guys today. And um, I, I asked Megan yesterday, I was like, what did you put in the bulletin for, because she always asks me, what text are we going to use? And she was saying that we're finishing up Prodigal Son. And I was like, people are going to be so excited. And isn't it great that you don't have to change the bulletin for like two months because (laughs) we're still talking about the same, you know, 10 verses. Okay, so, uh, but this may be the last time we talk about it. Even though there's like 20 more sermons and you guys could each give one on this text. But is, uh, okay, so who's going to give... Ethan, how do you feel about giving us all an overview? <laughs> do you feel good about that? Does that does that feel good to you right now? <laughs> okay, you sound like a disciple when Jesus is about to be crucified, but all right. I'm kidding. Who says that? Biblical jokes are always funny, guys, okay? No, I understand. You're welcome to sleep during this, too. So, Really? Sometimes we need a nap, you know? Oh, but my favorite... That Jesus napped. My favorite is when I'm giving, especially a long lecture, and you can just see people, they're trying really hard, and they're like this, you know, and occasionally they get the weird, like, half-eye, like, what's happening? Do I call 911 or give them a blanket, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And I, and I really, the first um, conference I was teaching where the, the leaders of it stood up and they said, if you, we have this schedule. If you want to go and take a nap during one of the sessions, you know, if you want to, and all these others, there was all this pressure, you know, you have to participate. And we're doing craft time, and I'm going to expect you there, or else <laughs> you don't love people and you hate dogs and flowers, you know. But instead, just this freedom to, to be and do whatever you need to do, which I, I think is um, pretty God ish. So, um, which is a phrase. <laughs> anyway, okay, so who's going to give us the rundown then for, for anybody who is unaware of the prodigal son? Okay, well, we have a, we have a father who splits his inheritance upon his, uh, among his two sons, the older and the younger, and he's only doing this at the request of the younger son who wants to um, go ahead and have his inheritance now, which of course is an offense to a father, the patriarch family, to say, you know, I wish you were dead, give me what's mine now, you know. Um, And so kind of a break in that relationship. And then the younger son leaves home, goes off and squanders very recklessly the inheritance he's been given quickly as well. And he goes to a foreign country, so he's literally left you know this entire life that he's known in his family and pretty soon finds himself completely without any way to sustain his life and is hired out as a servant for a foreigner and is feeding pigs and so all the jewish people are cringing at every single part of this whether it's the pigs or the foreigner or the moving away from your your dad and disrespecting him and so when he realizes and comes to himself and says, wow, the servants in my father's house have 
way more than enough to eat. And here I am being jealous of the pigs and their food. So he decides he's going to go home and uh, own it and apologize, make amends with his father and says, I have sinned against heaven and earth and I am not worthy to be called your son, but if you'll allow me to come back as your servant. And so he is planning his speech, practicing it, comes back. And as he's coming back, his father is waiting at the road, sees him from a long way off, picks up his dad tunic and takes off <laughs> toward him. And this son begins to give this speech, I have sinned against heaven and you, father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupts his speech and embraces him and holds him and says to the servants, go get that fatted calf we've been holding on to for something special. Bring the robe, bring my signature ring, because this son of mine was lost and now is found, was dead and now is alive. And then the older son hears this commotion from the party being set up, and he's away from the house as well, and says, what is happening? And one of the servants says, well, your brother is back. And he's not happy about this. So the father goes out to him as well and says, son, come in. We're rejoicing because your brother. And he basically says, I have been working my whole life for you. And you've never even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends who don't exist, probably. <laughs> he's the one that corrects their grammar all the time. And they're like, OK, well, we're only friends with you because your dad's rich. So oh, we've just been hanging around for a goat, and it's not happening. So he basically says, I've been working and trying to be perfect for you and done everything that I thought I was supposed to do. And this son of yours, who completely ruins his inheritance and, and, and throws everything away on prostitutes, comes back and all of a sudden you're giving him this huge party. And so the father says to him as well, You've, everything that I have is yours, has always been yours. And we're rejoicing because this son uh, of mine, your brother, was dead and is alive, was lost and was found. And this is all in context of what? Do you remember why Jesus is telling this parable? Because the Pharisees are ticked off that Jesus is eating, fellowshipping, communing with tax collectors. All right? Yeah. So they like checked in on social media together and the Pharisees are like, this is not okay. And so Jesus responds to their complaint, to their complete angst over this. You know, if they, if Jesus knew who they were. So he speaks about how incredible it is when anybody recognizes who they are as one belonging to God. Like how amazing it is when someone repents, when they turn in a different direction, right? That, that sin is very, very real that there are things that we do that don't line up with who we are, that don't line up with the love of God, right? And this story reminds me that I make sin so much about um, good or bad things instead of that I'm not being who God has made me to be as somebody who is loved and loves other people, right? And I know maybe there's more nuanced things to talk about with that, but so that's our story again. And it's a story maybe some of us have heard for all of our lives. Is this new here? This like thing? I'm like, I am not used to. So I'm kind of like this, you know, I'm like, well, if I just, you guys can't see, but it's there. Or maybe you can. That's fine. They can't see. There's a thing. And I'm very clumsy. So I got to be careful. So that's our setup. But anyway, we come to this story. We come to any text in scripture 
believing that there is a God who actively speaks. So there's a story that I've heard before, but there's something different that the living God wants to say to us today. There is something that the Spirit wants to move within us. And so that's why we keep meeting together also, because we're a forgetful people, right? In the Old Testament, God kept having to say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt and brought you to myself. And the reason, did someone just die in the foyer? (laughs) It happens. You just had this look like, child down, you know. It may be mine. I'm not really sure, you know. Anyway, so God continues to remind, and so that's why we meet together, right? Because we weren't just meant to eat once, and that's good, but we eat every single day. And so it's not about, I used to be very upset with myself when I would have like a life-changing moment, whether at a conference or just praying or, you know, at a service. And then later, someone's like, what, what did you hear in church? And I'm like, I don't know, but it really changed my life. And I have no <laughs> idea. Why can't I remember? Well... Because this is what an ongoing relationship is, right? It's, it's basically not just what happened that one time with God, but what happens in our relationship with God. It is so living and active. I love that the image of water is used because it's this constant fresh and flowing and that we are really off track. We're talking about the prodigal son, <laughs> right? So some of the things that we've gotten to explore with this text and um, I'm going to read the, the copy that you guys have for us, okay? So, Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, or when he came to his senses, when he realized who he was, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And we're going to stop there. Again, noticing that the father is waiting, right? The father is not withholding love until the younger son can pull himself together, right? So the one thing that I noticed from this, and we've talked about it a little bit, is that we have no idea what happens with the younger son. We don't know if you know, he's standing there and, you know, the father is putting the robe on him and the ring and there's a party being set up. We don't know if he goes in to the party or if he's like, no, it's too uncomfortable. I'm refusing to see myself as son. You know, we kind of assume maybe that he does go in, 
um, and enjoy this life that he's now been given, this, this rebirth, this second chance, you know. Um, and we also don't know about the older son. We have no idea if he is able to get through that, that pride and probably pain and the unlearning of seeing himself as servant, you know. But what we do know is what? We know what the father did. So we don't know about the sons, and yet we know about the father's action. So much of what we do in the name of God or in our normal lives, an attempt to love or be kind, that sort of thing, is, is predicated, is contingent on how other people respond, right? I don't know if that's true for you, so I may have made an assumption that's not fair. But it, but it seems that we are always calculating the investment and the risk. You know, how much am I going to get back from this investment? And, and that's a wise way of thinking. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think, you know, we just throw our money or our time or our love at things without a consideration of, is this going to be beneficial? Um, sometimes when I'm scheduling my day, if I know I'm going to have a conversation or a meeting that's more exhausting, then I'm not going to stack several of those in a row. I have to be aware of my emotional energy and what I'm able to give or my budget, that sort of thing. Um, but what we see here is a reckless kind of love and compassion that is being modeled by the father. We talked about how prodigal, this story often called the prodigal son, prodigal doesn't mean lost, prodigal means reckless or extravagant or lavish, right? So the prodigal son was very reckless, but then I think I presented to you all that I believe the father's love is pretty reckless, you know? Who knows how it's actually going to be received? And so much of what I do is based on the outcome or the receptivity of the other person. And it may not be that I withhold love, but how willing I am to put, put this love out there. And what we see here is no guarantee. There's no calculation of risk. It's not as if the father is reading the situation. Like, you know, is my son sober right now that we're talking about? This? You know, at this point, he's just loving. And so what we do know is that the father is filled with compassion, that the father says quickly, we are going to celebrate, that this is in the same vein as what was lost is now found. We're calling everybody together to rejoice. That the tax collectors are, are these dinner you know, pals, these dinner companions with Jesus, and Jesus is so excited, and the Pharisees and religious leaders are missing it. No, 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 we celebrate. Isn't it interesting that they come in with a judgmental slant? And he's like, whoa, whoa, because it's not just a, well, we don't judge because Jesus, you know, Jesus is like, well, you guys don't judge because you're Christians, you know, because that's the language Jesus used was Christians. And, um, but instead, you know, he's like, oh, it's not even about not judging, it's about celebrating. Isn't it amazing that these people are starting to live out of more than the superficial lifestyle and the things which suffocate and drive? Is it an incredible that people are seeing that they are more than they knew that they're more than what they can do or more than what other people think about them. And so here's Jesus trying to communicate to tax collectors or prostitutes or drunks or the poor, you are more than what people say about you. And then there are voices that say, no, you're not. 
You're exactly what other people say about you. So it's not just about not judging people. That's not what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. If we look at the life of Jesus, if we look at the divinity of the Creator, it is not just about not judging. It is about rejoicing in the God-given identity that every single person on this earth holds. It is about celebrating the image bearers that are right in front of you and not deciding who deserves to be celebrated. I don't know why we think we get to do that. And I also do not understand why we think we have to make people feel worse in order to get them to act better. <laughs> what? But it's true, right? I mean, because sin is real. I am not minimizing the fact that we do things to harm each other. That is very real. We do things to harm each other and to harm ourselves. But I, what I am saying is that we do not necessarily, we, we don't focus on the behavior and we don't help other people move through by rubbing their nose in their own sin, right? But by helping them see that they're more than that and that there's a way that they don't have to live harmfully toward other people or themselves in that kind of freedom. So what's interesting is the older son, what does he focus on? So the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has his son back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Isn't that amazing? Do you ever have a, 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 have you ever had a kid who, you know, you're like, okay, fine, then stay in there, that's fine, you know. <laughs> Asking for a friend. Um, or someone who just basically is like, I'm gonna take my ball and go home. And you're like, fine. And then the father goes after him as well, and it's like, please come in to this, you know, this celebration here. Please come be a part. This is what it looks like to be a part of this family is that we celebrate each other, right? We don't stand, but he refused to go in. The father went out to him as he went out to the younger son and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The brother focuses on the behavior. Do you hear how he mentions it? He gives his reasons why he's not going to celebrate his father's son. He says, this son of yours, he's detaching himself. You know, the father keeps saying, your brother. And the brother is like, no, your son. I am, there is no connection there. And he says, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going in because of his behavior, because of what he's done. So he is basing his um, willingness to love or be inclusive on the behavior of his brother. And people have different opinions on what it may be right or wrong. Um, but whatever you think, you are never ever given the right to withhold love based on somebody's behavior. And so 
the only way that we can love in the way that God loves is by having the perspective that God has. So the only way that I can go out to other people and, and welcome them and extend this love is by understanding who I am. So the perspective of God is fundamental. And so this story, for all that it does, it also reminds us that we are not part of uh, God's family on our own terms, not as servant, not as workhorse, not as the marginal one that, you know, kind of like in Lame is the movie, like they let Russell Crowe be a part of it. And they're like, well, you know, no, he's, we're, we're fully apart. We don't get to come on our own terms. But you know, it's kind of true, right? I was the Russell Crowe of this last musical I was in. <laughs> they didn't like when I said it, but if it's true, it's true. Um, but, but, you know, so coming on the terms of the father meant, no, you don't get to come home as servant. You come home as, as son. You don't get to be a part of this relationship with, with God on, on workhorse or like the pity kid or the one who kind of doesn't belong or the weird one at the family reunions. You are child. Like this is it. You are the loved one of God. You're created a hundred percent worthy of love and belonging before you did anything. And nothing has changed that. Nothing, not the opinions of other people, not political stances, not anything is going to change that fact. So if I do not align myself with that, it doesn't change the fact that I'm the loved one of God. It means that I'm missing out on living in that. It does not change the fact that there's a party going on and I'm being celebrated even if I don't go into that party, right? I'm the one who is missing out on living the fullness of life that God has intended. And the only way that I do that is, is allowing myself to be loved, which is very uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable, especially when you have someone over your shoulder, someone, groups, whoever, churches who are saying, you're not right. It's hard to get that voice out of our head and live out of the reality of being the loved one of God. I also think that that perspective is our key to loving other people. It's tough when you know the right thing is to be kind and loving, you know? So it, it's almost just a surface response, a knee-jerk response is not to punch you in the face, but to be like, you're loved. Um, but it, it's very different when you're loving people out of an understanding of who you are and who they are, right? Um, I had someone tell me, not too long ago, uh, you know, um, there's a way that God sees you, and, and I'm not quite there yet. And I appreciated that. I was like, yeah, I, I you know, it was a recognition that, that God might have a perspective on me that this person might, might not have. And it's that, right? It's understanding if I'm not loving, it's not because you're not loved, right? <laughs> And so I think there's a maturity in that. But in order for us to really love, it matters what we tell ourselves. So it matters that we tell ourselves that we belong with God. It matters that we tell ourselves other people belong with God. The younger wanted to see himself as not worthy. The older was referring to his brother by his behavior. But aligning our perspective with God is where I want us to focus today. In all ways, you think about what it required for Jesus to go through the persecution, the suffering, the many 
attempts to arrest and kill him and then ultimately to be crucified. He had to know who he was. He had to know who he was. When, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and at this point, John tells us that, that um, Judas had already been entered by Satan, so was already going to do this thing, and, and Jesus knew this. And so Jesus takes off his outer robe, washes the disciples' feet, and I don't think he was scrubbing Judas's extra hard, like, let's see how you feel about, you know. <laughs> but the text says, because of who he was, because he knew, because Jesus knew who he was and he knew where he was going, he got up, took off his outer robe, and washed the disciples' feet. The action we do toward other people has to start with understanding our, who we are as loved people. Like, there's really no way to separate that. I cannot love without God's perspective. It's not just about compassion because I have this urge. It's about God's perspective. You all have natural affection, but it runs out at some point. But the only way that we really can love without burnout, without, you know, some of the other stuff, not that we won't get frustrated, but is to have God's perspective on other people. We don't know what the others did in the story. We just know that the dad did. And we are called to be that parent. We are called to be that voice that is always going out, bringing home, extending love, seeing people, inviting them, welcoming, never stopping pursuing people. Never stop. Not contingent, right, on response. So, there is this, um, this, I like memes, and that's okay. Although I've learned that some memes aren't really memes, they're just like things people say, but if you put it on a background, it's like meme-ish all of a sudden. <laughs> so, when this person wrote, when people talk about, and I guess they're, um, Handle is just shower thoughts. So, okay. <laughs> when people talk about traveling to the past, they worry about radically changing the present by doing something small. Right? People are like, don't touch any, and don't see yourself. Don't see your, your past self, or like the world will implode, or something like that. So they worry about radically changing the present by doing something small. But barely anyone in the present really thinks that they can radically change the future by doing something small. And I was like, okay, I'm going to need some time. <laughs> Thank you, just shower thoughts. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's true, right? You know, in every, every little time travel thing, it's like one thing gets offset. And in Meet the Robinsons, you know, uh, the blonde-haired kid, this is a really good retelling, makes it to where the kid catches the ball and his, then he gets adopted because of it, right? The point being, <laughs> it's real, that happened. Uh, but the point being that we really can, it's incredible what we can do. And it's not necessarily because we are so powerful. It's because the effort we make in bringing light to darkness, the effort we make in bringing love to a world full of hate, the effort we make in welcoming people and allowing ourselves to be welcomed is then taken by a God who can do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. And it's broken, and it's blessed, and it's used to feed the world. When Jesus was teaching, we act like it's normal just because you've heard the story. Do you realize how weird it is that Jesus is teaching a crowd of 5,000 people and someone gives him 
a fish and a loaf of bread and everybody's fed? The small change, the ways we love do not have to be huge. It's, it's taken, these, these efforts we make to have the perspective and heart of God are taken by the God of all power and, and blessed and broken and used to feed the world. We're all world changers. We can't help it. It's who you were made to be. And it's, it's not even that you know it. It's that you're just being who you were made to be as someone who is loved and called to love others. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. But it has to start with you willing to see yourself as someone who's loved. It's not just seeing that Emily is lovable. It's also living in that reality for myself. And sometimes it's easier to see the lovability of the people around you than it is to see your own worth and value. You know the difference between loving someone to be loved and loving someone because that's who you are, right? We're not acting as people who are loving. We are people who are loving. We were created by the source of love. So it's as we connect ourselves with this source of love that we're able to love the world around us, that we're able to make those small changes, that the way I talk to you affects something, right? So the amazing thing about that is that the way that I talk, the way that I think, the way that I operate, the, the way I refer to you or don't, or is all affected by my sense of identity. It affects everything, right? So it's not as, as if I'm managing how you see me or managing my behavior. Let's spend more time allowing ourselves to be aligned with God's perspective on who we are. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe we just, for the next however many days, just show me who I am today. Just let me live out of the reality of who I am. Let me see that I'm loved. Let me maybe feel that love. Allowing ourselves to get out of a perspective that everybody else might have of us to what's actually true. It's not as if God is a delusional grandma who's like, you're so pretty. The perspective of God is, is the most real thing that we have. It's the most, it's the truest part. It's not one of other realities. It's the realest thing there is. And it changes everything. Because the world may never be on board with your lovability or the lovability of other people that you're around. So we have to then practice a perspective that may not be celebrated. We have to celebrate when others may not celebrate. <sighs> There's no formula, right? It's just that small change that what we do in the present can radically change the future. And then we're not only called to love when it's easy, but and, and it's not even that job, but, but putting ourselves in that position to constantly let God take this love that we have, take this life that we have. And, and you know what's amazing? Do you know with parenting stuff, um, I was talking with a, a caseworker the other day, and I was like, I'm the worst. I go through this about once a week with her, and she acts like it's the first time she's heard it, like, oh, 
She's like, can you not cry this time? No, it's going to happen, Megan. So, <laughs> and she's like, you know you only have to get it right like 30% of the time for your kids to feel attuned. And I'm like, I know, but I think I blew my 70% like a long time ago, so from now on. But it doesn't mean we have to love perfectly, is my point here. You know, when we say how important it is that we, that we love that these small things, it's also true that God is forgiveness. God is not just the source of love, God is the source of forgiveness. We're constantly living in new chances, right? And that might seem as if God is a pushover or something or has no boundaries. <laughs> But it's not true. Instead, it's just this heart that is constantly going after us, bringing us home. Not, not so that our behavior can change just because we uh, read the instruction manual a little better, but our behavior changes as we change our perspective of ourselves, right? There's no getting around it. Our behavior will change as we live as people who are loved, right? So... I, are we cool to go into a Q&A? There was something I wanted, to, I wanted to get your opinion about. Well, first of all, what are your thoughts on all that? I love that you're saying that we have to do more than just not judge. We have to celebrate people and really love them. Because, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I was thinking about um, a lot of times that's the message is like, well, we don't judge here, so we yeah. love you, but that's not enough. Like, no. <laughs> think about, you know, applying that to your kids. Like, if one kid, you celebrate everything they do, and yeah. the other kid, you're like, well, we, we love you, but I'm not, you know, I'm withholding. Right. I'm not celebrating your accomplishments or your interests, the things that you love. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, that doesn't feel like love. Mm -hmm. so I, I don't even know what it means when people say, you know, I love the, love the sinner, not the sin. Like, what do you do? Like, <laughs> what does that even, what does that I'm even like looking like? around for, <laughs> can you go get that? You remember me, the big post-it? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I borrow that? Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. I think a lot of it is our, our skewed understanding of what love is or, mm -hmm. you know, no, I think it's. I think that's helpful, you know. So what Cole said, anybody's listening, <laughs> is, um, <laughs> is that it's not just about not judging, but also about celebrating and what it would feel like when you see others celebrated, you know, um, what that feels like uh, to be on the outside of that. Or, I mean, it's a whole different level of, like, everybody has these different experiences. You know, I think about privilege and, and like, I guess I, I, it took me a long, long time to realize I'm celebra uh, celebrated about things that other people are not, even though we're the same. Um, or how, how some slight difference, you know, how, I even think I've told you guys, there's, there's people who work with, oh, we have this thing. Can we put it on its side across the seat? Okay, now you guys are just getting smart. And this one only goes this high. Am I threatened by that? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, that's great. I don't know. So, so I think what, um, can you model? Thanks, Vanna. Okay, 
This oh, is why go. you're, hey. <laughs> right, okay, so there's, there's a couple things here. There's the, the love pattern, which I think we've talked about. Um, I see. So I see you. I see you seeing me. This is really good. I'm doing a great <laughs> job. I can't write. I feel seen. I feel loved. So this is the love pattern. I see you. I see you seeing me. I feel seen. So I feel loved. And I know who I am. So instead of using the word love like I love you, it's um, James Altuis who um, writes about this in his book, A Beautiful Risk. Uh, he's a psychologist. Basically, what I love about the love pattern is that love isn't until down here, and it's the result of being seen. So when we feel seen, something happens that, that opens us up, and I know that we've talked about that before. But being seen um, results in us being loved. So if I'm seen, someone says, I see you, and it's maybe critical, that's not actually being seen, right? That's being judged. So there's two ways that we listen to people. There's empathic listening, which is when we listen to people to allow them to show up how they want, and critical listening, where we decide if their point of view is even valid. Are you getting some counseling stuff over there? <laughs> Will you guys give me free counseling after this? Thank you. Okay. And, and so critical listening, people might want to say that it's empathic listening, but they just want to give us tough love. No, because if you're considering your perspective on what's being said, <laughs> then you're not empathically listening. You're literally just letting someone show up how they are, not deciding if they're being honest, not uh, deciding they're being delusional, not saying that they're right or wrong, or you know, but actually letting them show up as they are. So I think celebrating people means that we see them. And, and I think you're right that we would add celebrating to that. Uh, Take it further, right, Cole? That's good. Looking at that list um, and thinking of it like in the context of um, not being judged versus being celebrated, um, like I kind of keep thinking about how passive it is to be like, oh, I'm, I don't judge you. Yeah. You know, it's very passive, but to celebrate someone, you have to kind of decide you're fighting for the celebration, you know? Mm-hmm. You can't just be like, oh, you're celebrated. It's like you have to do something. It's it's active. Well, just to tell someone I'm not judging you <coughs> is a judgment in itself. Like <laughs> you're doing something that needs to be judged, but I won't. But look, I'm not going to judge you, even though you, you have it coming. You need to be, but it's not going to be from me. You have it coming, so just wait till Judgment Day. <laughs> hey. Hey, Janice, tell me everything. Oh, yeah. You Don't say that to her. <laughs> <laughs> so we're overachievers. Well, really, I'm the overachiever. Uh -huh. And I just bring her into it. Yes. <laughs> and we caught up on the other two um, parts of your series. And one of the things I liked is you talked about Hitler without mentioning Hitler. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I did. How do you know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> By saying, you know, well, how do 
how can we not judge someone who killed six million people? And it's, I'm a therapist, so with my clients, when I talk about mm. and when I talk about, um, you know, self-compassion even, Hitler is an example I bring up often and say, you know, he just wanted to be an artist. And if you can just see him for who he was, even with, you know, aside from the actions, that's a more, you know, celebratory way from this context of empathizing yeah. and really getting to the core essence of someone to be able to see through their soul. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Um, that celebration is getting through the other stuff. You know, because that's the stuff that, that movies are made of, right? There's the, the hard-shelled person, you know, um, but really they're good inside. <laughs> but then there's also in our lives the hard-shelled people, and we may not necessarily get to the part that we like or that we should, we should write a book about them for a different reason, you know. Um, and, you know, again... This does not, I, I have heard these kinds of things that mean that's why you need to keep trying in abusive situations. And, and this is not that at all, okay? Because having the perspective of God is a perspective and that's an action. And that may be the only action you need to take, okay? You, you may not need to, there is, there is somebody else to love your ex <laughs> who can be compassionate toward them without you having to put yourself in a position where you're going to be harmed Right? Because seeing ourselves as loved is also knowing that we are worthy of love and safety and respect. So, you know, um, I, I just, yeah, you know, just to say that. But I love that, Janice. I think that's really helpful. And, and you know, the, the other thing is this identity piece. Since we are, we've done this before, we are behaviorally based, right? My friend Don usually draws this out, but is that we have um, we have our behavior, and we do things in order to achieve value, so that we can oh bless my heart, <laughs> so that we can experience love and belonging. So we behave, whether we rebel, fit in, whatever people please, in order to feel value so that we can feel love and belonging. Um, and the problem with it is that this is never going to be enough to sustain value or lovability. But if we understand who we are, we just change the starting point that we are loved, that we do belong, that our value is, is not up for evaluation like it, it is. You have infinite value. Whether or not you care, whether or not you buy into it doesn't change it. So that's already set. And out of that, we behave. It matters how we act toward people, right? There was a lot of um, heresies going around after Jesus was resurrected. There, people are like, who cares? Doesn't matter anymore what you do with the body. It's about the soul. And John's like, I'm sorry. It does matter how you live on earth. That this whole Jesus thing, this God thing, is not just about what happens after you die. This is not your ticket to heaven, okay? Or Dallas Willard calls it the vampire Christians who are all about the blood, okay? <laughs> this is about the fact that every day we are here on this earth, we are poking holes in the darkness and bringing light. We are learning what it is to be a part of the kingdom of love and light. 
and seeing it realized more. So this does matter, but if we start from a point of being loved, it's going to affect the way we behave. Anybody else have any thoughts on? Yeah. saying Jesus meant this but I mean he did but you know telling us uh, that the father went and embraced the son before the son could prove that his life was different you know it's not a month later you have shown that you are worthy to be accepted back yeah. it's you know I'm I'm sorry if you don't like it but you're loved. And, and he's, you know, the father's doing it because he knows himself as the father. He's very, very grounded. I, I know I am the mother of, of my kids. If they're like, you're not my mom, I'm like, okay. It doesn't change anything about who I am, right? And then even deeper than beyond me being a mom, which describes me but doesn't define me, because what defines me is, that I am a loved child of God, which is hard some days, right? But I think sometimes that's the discipline. If you're telling yourself you're a piece of crap, it's easier sometimes to do that. The harder work is to tell yourself that's not true. Now, God helps us get to that point. It could be a long distance from I'm a piece of crap to I'm a loved child of God. But I remember the point I got to, I hated myself for a long time, and then I got to this point where I was like, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a piece of crap. And then I was like, oh, I know too much now. <laughs> so I wanted to wallow in it, but I couldn't because I knew too much. You know, so once you get to that point where you know too much, then the work is actually living out of truth. Because it's a lot easier to wallow in, oh, I'm just, no, you know too much now. And if you don't know yet, that's okay. God will bring you there. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's hard for me. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've been like working through of mm -hmm. like, the potential to change, the potential to seek anything different mm -hmm. is available to them too. Yeah. Um, and they are loved even though they aren't loving. Yeah. I, I think we talked about there's all, all of us have a group of people we judge. Mm -hmm. All of us have a group of people that we're like, you are so stupid. Um, and it's amazing how we judge people who judge people and we think we're better. Ooh, I mean, this right here, this I see you, it's just when it comes to the divine love, it's just a level playing field. We are all desperately in need of a love that's bigger than us. We are all in need of a creative God who continues to create, who is constantly offering new opportunities. And I mean, there's not one of us who has it, and so. I think one thing that has helped me with that 
trying to think of them, and I, I use this also in counseling to have empathy for people, um, you know, think of them as injured in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, they've experienced something that has led them through life experience to these views of this perspective, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so there can be more understanding in that, you know, that they're maybe acting out of fear, out right. of insecurity, you know. Um, right. And talking about identity, it's really hard for people to love someone and celebrate someone else if they don't know who they are mm-hmm. and if they're insecure about who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, in psychology, there's a reaction formation, which is this tendency to judge really harshly those things that you might like mm-hmm. fear could happen in you. you know? Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of times I think about that, that there's so much of an identity factor in the judgment. Mm-hmm. And fear that it's gonna you know this this other group has this power over me that they could change me in ways that I don't yeah. want or right. know, control something about me um, you know thinking about Oof. openness about other religions and other groups you right. know, like that's not existent in kind of a fear identity right right um I wanna I'm gonna close us and then we can keep talking. Is that okay? Just so we can have some alone time. That sounds really bad. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, pray with me. I, God, I do ask that you would give us your perspective on who we are and whatever we need to unlearn about who we are. Please help us with that. We don't have the resources to heal ourselves. We need you to pull apart any lie that we have carried, any false identity that we have put on or that others have put on us. And, and we ask for your, your healing in our self-perspective, in our perspective of other people. Help us. Believe that there is enough love, an infinite amount of love for the people around us and for ourselves. God, show us that we are loved and what that means. We pray this believing that you are more than capable and willing. Amen. So, friends, thank you for being with me today. Grace and peace to you, guys. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.